0: On this episode, kilts, pet portraiture, giardia, and the Colorado Trail. Welcome to the Almost There Adventure Podcast. hosts, Severia Tilden, Jeff Hester, and Jason Fitzpatrick. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Almost There Adventure podcast. Today, we have kind of a multifaceted and multi-talented individual who is uh, Andrew Marshall. Andrew, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. Why don't you do better than I could do and uh, introduce uh, our audience to you?
1: Um, Yeah, uh, you say multifaceted. I I usually say um, lack of attention span. On, on one thing or one sport. But um, I'm the managing editor of Backpacking Light. I'm also their uh, podcast producer. Um, I am the co-founder of BackpackingRoots.com with Maggie Slepian and Jeff Garmeyer. And I'm also a, a freelance writer for a variety of, of internet um, outlets, usually in the outdoor adventure space. I'm a painter, uh, I'm a published poet. Um, let's see, I came up through the film and video world, so I've got a, a little bit of that in my background, uh, and uh, fine art photography.
0: Well, you say you're a poet, but none of that rhymed.
1: Yeah, though, well, that's because that's I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a modern poet. <laughs>
0: I'm skeptical. <laughs> well, why don't we start off with talking a little about backpacking routes. We did talk about this a little bit when we had uh, Maggie Slepian on mm-hmm, um, a couple mm-hmm. months ago. And obviously, mm-hmm. I think everyone knows legend Jeff Garmeyer. Um, mm-hmm. He was the second guest ever on this podcast, and, and he's a good friend and everything. But why don't you uh, talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah, so I, I listened to a little bit of the of the podcast with Maggie, so I'll try not to repeat her too much. But, you know, the the idea came from all three of us wishing that we had a way to to say okay we've we've got a week and a half of time and we live in this area of the country what is out there that we can that meets the that meets the stipulations that we have in any given moment right so whether that's how 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 difficult we feel like a trip being how long it might take what kind of altitude it has any of that stuff you know, you, you put that into a Google search and you're almost always going to just come up against one of the big three trails or I think Maggie tells a story about how she was searching for, for a trip to do and she kept finding articles that she had written um, <laughs> that, that, that obviously weren't very helpful to her. So basically the three of us said um, we need this tool in our lives and all three of us have less work. Uh, because of the pandemic. So let's just create it and see what happens. And it's been very well received.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's a really cool thing. Um, one of my favorite things about it is one of the core principles of it, too, is that you pay the people no matter yeah. what. You're going to pay the people who write yeah. the guides or who create the things. Yeah. And I think that's that's yeah. super cool in this sort of, you know, day of social media and, and this digital world that wants everything and, you know, has expectations that everything is going to be free.
1: So, yeah. All of us have... have uh, been told in one way or the other that we're getting paid for our work in exposure or, or, uh, contacts or something like that. And you know, that doesn't, you can't, you can't buy lentils with exposure. Uh, so we, that's very important to us.
0: No, that's great. That is, that, that is super cool. Have you done uh, any routes yourself? Do there any favorites?
1: Yeah, I think um, I, I've contributed quite a few to the website that I have done. Um, I wrote the Colorado Trail Guide with Jeff. Um, I wrote the Wonderland Trail Guide actually before. I haven't hiked it yet because we had uh, we had we won the lottery in twenty twenty, and ended up canceling the trip at the last second because of the wildfire smoke. So uh, and then and then we applied for the lottery again this year and didn't get it. So I know you guys have, have done it though yeah we
2: we did the uh, wonderland trail uh two years ago was that right yeah 2019 and uh we took the long slow path so yeah. you actually say in your guide that it's a trail that should be savored you know and take mm-hmm. your time on and, and and we definitely took full advantage
1: of that we did it over what 13 days i think yeah yeah
0: 13 days mm-hmm.
1: yeah and um the other route that I've contributed that I'm kind of proud of is is I drew up a like a 120-mile loop through the Smoky Mountain National Park, um, which we just kind of – that was our backup for Wonderland. We canceled Wonderland at the last minute and then went, okay, well, we need a loop trail. You know, where can we go? And um, I grew up in that area, so I was like, how about the Smokies? And I sort of talked to my friend into it, and it was a extremely difficult trip. The Smokies are no joke if you've never been out there. Just because they're low doesn't mean they're not – intense
0: first of all it's a good thing you you know they're so close to each other right so it was like an easy um no kidding Um, (laughs) there's a there's a story behind that but it's not worth telling i'm sure there is no funny enough one of the only nights i've ever bailed on a backpacking trip was the one night i tried to 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 camp in the smokies first of all i was driving cross country and i was driving cross country in march so it was cold and that's not the time of year to go there just for anyone listening because there's like no leaves on the trees so it was very like you know, I think that the wooded, you know, it has that really beautiful woodsy thing. Mm-hmm, but if there's mm-hmm. no leaves on the trees, it's just sort of like gray and cold and whatever.
1: Yeah. And, and and moist on in addition to cold.
0: Yeah. Well, it was also just a weird. It felt kind of spooky, honestly. You know, and there was like not really anyone else there. Like I think I passed one other hiker when it, when I was hiking out, and then simultaneously both my stove and my headlamp stopped working, so it was like dark cold I didn't have any like warm food and it was just kind of spooked out a little bit and I'm like you know what this isn't fun you know I, I'm not I don't. I'm not really I don't know I don't know what it was I just had like a weird feeling so I'm like I'm bailing and, and I hiked yeah. out and got a hotel in Gatlinburg which was trippy
1: that's a yeah that's its own spooky experience
0: <laughs> it sure is
2: so so Andrew you say it's it's no joke the the Smoky Mountains I've heard, I've read a few things about the, you know, the, like the Appalachian Trail and, Uh and how it wasn't graded for horses. And so it kind of just goes up and down and the idea of switchbacks is kind of like not really there. Is that kind of what you're talking about or what makes that, this loop that you did so difficult?
1: Yeah, it's the steepness of the grade. It's the terrain is, is, um, uh, very slippery rocks, very slippery roots. You kind of always have to be on your guard. Um. It's the weather is never right. It's it's either uh, too hot and too humid and, and swarming with bugs, or it's it's bone chillingly cold and raining at the same time. It's never snowing. I mean, it, it snows there, but it's more likely to be like right at that hypothermia, like edge of like forty degrees and raining. For, and for days, it's not like out west where it will just rain on you for two hours and then the sun comes out. That's not how the Smokies roll. It's you just you get wet and then you never dry out for a week. Sounds great. <laughs> you should write. Oh, yeah, their, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, lo- I mean, I love it. But, yeah. You know, that's, yeah. I, I'm accustomed to. I was it, gonna so. say
0: you should you should write their travel brochures. I think that's I think that's uh, you know <laughs> yeah. you know I, you're not gonna get paid, but there's tons of exposure and contacts that you'll yeah. you'll, you'll get from that experience. Um and and again, again, as we were saying, multifaceted. Um, I, I mean, I'm looking at your Instagram now. and You guys should, should follow him. It's uh, um, at Andrew Marshall Images, um, both painting and photography. And, and it's really wonderful. How did you, when did you first start painting? How did you get into that? So I
1: started painting because everything that I was creating existed in a digital space. Um, filmmaking, even taking pictures. It, it was all just pixels. It was never anything that I could hold and I I wanted to change that so I I picked up painting, I picked up watercolor just because I liked the way it looked and you can execute it quickly it's not like oil painting where it takes days and days and days I mean I'll do a watercolor painting in two hours and then it's done Um, and it was at a weird time in my life when I had just quit a job and had just decided to go freelance full-time and it wasn't going very well at the moment so I had a lot of Spare time to paint, and um, then then I started on a whim selling paintings at like these pop up you know art art walk shows you know like that communities will have, and um, I sold more of those than I did my photographs, so it just kind of took off from there.
0: Nice. So you started with photography first, and then got into the, the painting. I did.
1: Yeah, I did. Mm-hmm.
0: Nice, and. Um I'm noticing. I'm looking here. Mostly, everything I'm seeing is, is of your photography is black and white. Um, have you always shot black and white? Is that a more recent thing? How did? Uh...
1: Yeah, I've all. I've sort of always shot black and white. I, I shoot color. It depends. But I'm. I'm even likely to take a sunset and go. Oh, what would this look like in black and white? <laughs> um, I mean, uh, on a surface level, it's just because I like it. But on a technical artistic level, there's something about black and white that removes the crutch of color and maybe the, the Instagram instinct to oversaturate your picture just to make it into eye candy, you know? And I, I like focusing on composition and quality of light and subject matter, and so black and white kind of helps me do that. Nice, cool.
0: And uh, we'll nerd out on camera stuff just a little bit here. What what, what what do you shoot with?
1: So I shoot 90% of my photos with an iPhone right. now. Yeah. Um. I mean, back in the day, I had a Canon 7D. I had, I think, I had the first generation 7D, and then I got a Sony RX100 for a few years, um, to use as a as a backpacking camera. And that's a very capable little camera. Oh, I mean, sure, I, I've yeah. sold fine art prints that I've taken on that. But you know, I always say the best. This is a kind of a camera cliche, but the best camera you have is the one that's in your pocket all the time, right? So the one the one you have access to the most, and um, the iPhone. 12 Pro Max is, is an astounding backpacking, the outdoor adventure photography tool.
0: Absolutely. No. And uh, even like it's kind of funny on our, our Wonderland trip, you know, I, I, they, they were making fun of me for lugging really, lots of really heavy camera gear. I had two camera bodies, some lenses, a heavy mm-hmm, tripod. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there wasn't a lot of, you know, we had either had bad light, no visibility. You know, there wasn't a huge amount of opportunities, you know, or reasons to break that out. So, right way more of the photos were taken with my, even by me, by my iPhone. You know, and of course, that's all that Jeff and Derek who did it with us brought, brought. So right. I mean, it's, it's a fantastic tool and the cameras and yeah. the phones are just getting so so much better. And it's just such a great tool to have in the back country for other reasons too. I mean, all the traveling right. applications it's, and, and multi, It's a
1: multi-use tool. And if you're willing to let your style be informed by the limitations of the tool that you have, I if you can lean into that, rather than being frustrated by it so you know obviously if you have a phone you're not getting a lot of telephoto stuff I think even the 12 Pro Max has like a 2.5 magnifier on it or something but so my my photography has over the last few years sort of flattened and become much more interested in pattern and shape and 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 composition of a two-dimensional image rather than depth just because of the tool that I'm using
0: Nice, um, and and you know we're kind of talking about the iPhone and how it saves you from bringing several devices. So this is going to be a good cheesy segue, I think, into backpacking light, um, mm-hmm. which is kind of a big force within the backpacking world and everything. But just in case our listeners don't know what it is, do you want to do you want to inform everyone and then maybe talk about your role and how you got into it and all that?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a primarily membership driven site. Um, we offer a lot of free content, but. The, the bulk of what we're doing is trying to create a good membership experience and that allows us to create content that is not driven by ad revenue or clicks which is huge in the internet in general but especially in the outdoor industry when there's kind of a weirdly cozy relationship between brands and journalists and journalistic outlets um, we're able to avoid all that. So we don't write gear roundups. We don't write the 20 best quilts of 2021. Um, We are much more likely to have a a reviewer using a quilt that maybe came out two years ago and have them using it for six months and then write a 10,000 word review of it. So that's kind of the core of where we are. Uh, In-depth, scientifically backed up um, observations, and sort of uh, digging into the philosophy of backpacking. I,
0: I was staying with, you know, your partners over the weekend in, mm-hmm. uh, in Bozeman. Uh, and, and your partner, uh, Maggie and Jeff. Of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and they uh, mentioned to me that you had done um, a, a single speed bikepacking trip. You want to tell us all about that, where you went?
1: Yeah, so I'm a, primarily a, a backpacker. It's like my primary sport, but also like my art i don't i i like paddleboard i like to mountain bike i you know i do all this different stuff um it's hard for me to imagine just like focusing on one thing and so i had decided i like mountain biking and i already have all the gear for backpacking and so bikepacking seemed like a good you know next step so um i bought a relatively inexpensive hardtail bicycle with with a rigid, fully rigid suspension, 29 by 3 tires. It's, it's a Salsa Deadwood. I think they only made it for one year in 2015. And uh, put some bike packing bags on and off I went. And and because I didn't know what I was doing, I had I talked to a couple of friends of mine who are bike packing kind of experts and they sort of talked me into the single speed because they're, you know, romantic purists. and 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 sort of dovetailing with the backpacking light idea, of minimizing the things that can go wrong. The derailleur is the thing on your bike most likely to get bent or get gunked up or get destroyed on a on a multi-day trip. So removing that entirely from the equation um, had an aesthetic appeal that, that was nice.
2: That sounds really hard, uh, frankly, because I've done a little bit of bike packing myself, but uh, I, and I ride a Salsa, but it's a Salsa Timberjack. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. um, uh, I can't imagine not being able to gear down for a big
1: hill. You know that—that that sounds a, just a, added challenge to me. What, did, it, you, what it, did you
2: experience?
1: Yeah, it was an added challenge. I live in the Sierra Nevada, and my trip was a circumnavigation of Lake Tahoe. It's a route on Bikepacking.com. I think they call it the Tahoe Twirl, and um, I think it's it's ranked an eight out of their one through ten difficulty scale. Um, which I didn't really realize until after I like, got back and looked at it again. and I was like, oh, yeah, this is, this, this is really hard. Um, yeah, I was just talking about this on our podcast with, with my friend who convinced me to do a single speed, but pushing your bike is not necessarily a bad thing. It, it gives you an opportunity to slow down and observe the train that you're passing through at a different speed than if you were riding your bike. And that's kind of philosophically nice.
0: Is he really a good friend if he convinced you to do a single speed <laughs> instead of having a derailleur? I'm, I don't know if you know. I'm I'm the roadie. I'm the road cyclist on the podcast. Uh, so so like you know, and I'm kind of a snobby roadie. It's one of the few things I'm snobby about. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, I love a derailleur. You know, I, I just mm-hmm. can't even imagine. So that leads me to the next question: Like, how snobby are you? Did you have a freewheel? Did you have like brakes? Did you have disc or rim brakes on that thing?
1: I yeah, I have disc brakes on it. I'm not I'm not snobby in general uh my my whole thing and this is why i click so well with maggie and jeff with backpacking roots is i want more people to be outside i want more people to be outside responsibly but i want more people to be outside and i'm all about whatever that takes so e-bikes on trails sure whatever i don't care you know uh um more people in national parks because of covid great you know like uh, there's things that come with that but they're solvable issues um so, no, I'm not I'm not snobby at all, especially about bikes where I felt way over my head really quickly because I like mountain biking, but I've never been the guy who's, like, taking my bike apart and putting it back together with different components. That all is kind of over my head.
0: I don't know. I think derailleurs are going to get more people out because it's just a much easier... Well, more yeah,
1: about. yeah. I mean, you know, had, that was a bad example on my yeah. part. But yeah. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and, and I kid as a snob, by the way. You know, I love people getting out and riding and doing whatever and if if it's a single speed is their thing I'm totally fine with it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just can't comprehend why that that that's my <laughs> it's my own thing. It's my own thing to get past.
2: Okay. So 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 Andrew, this was was this your first ba- bike packing experience and Yeah, if,
1: it was. It was. So did you are you going to do it again and do you have anything uh planned? I'm totally going to do it again. I would love to do one of these big like classic trips like the western divide or something like that. Um and the reason it's appealing to me is because you can go a lot farther a lot faster. So I'm, I'm getting to a certain season of my life where getting out and in the woods for six months at a time is becoming increasingly difficult. And so the idea of still covering 2,000 miles in the mountains, in the woods, but doing it in 50 days as opposed to 90 or 150, uh, that's, that appeals to me a lot.
0: Cool. How did you get into hiking? I mean, obviously you're in the industry, you're in a way, you must love it. When did you first start? And you know, talk a little bit about your history.
1: Yeah, so I've I've only been in the industry for three or four years now, um, but I got my start uh, growing up in northern Georgia, eastern Tennessee, um, that kind of area around Pisgah and the Smokies and. Um, Nandahala National Forest, uh, Cahuta Wilderness, Big Frog Wilderness. So that was kind of my home turf and uh, did a lot of backpacking with my dad uh, at that time. And so, yeah, I just always, something about growing up in that area, it's near the southern terminus of the Appalachian Trail. I read A Walk in the Woods, you know, as a teenager. And so it was just always something I was interested in and something I was going to do. And then in my early 20s, I lost my job. Um, during the recession, and it seemed like a good time to, to get out and, and, and hike that Appalachian Trail. And essentially between then and now, I've, I spent the last 10 years trying to figure out how to m- make this a, a viable you know, career in some way. And I tried a bunch of different things, and finally the writing seemed to, to work. Nice.
0: So you, you do the Appalachian Trail. Have you done either any of the either of the other Triple Crown ones?
1: No, I haven't. I haven't. Um, I've done the Colorado Trail and I've done the Tarim Trail and I've done, a co- you know, a couple of these like sub 200 mile trails. But that's another thing about backpacking routes is that we all kind of realize that there's a lot of underutilized, really beautiful trails that can get you out in the woods long enough to have an immersive experience but isn't so long that you have to blow up your life in order to have that immersive experience. And there aren't the John Muir trail, right. Which is the, like the only other thing that people know of, you know, that's a long trail. That's not one of the big three. So,
2: yeah, I think that's one of the issues that's uh, we're all kind of grappling with right now, because there's that sort of Instagram worthy, you know, location that everybody sees and everybody wants to go to. And whether it's a particular trail or a particular mountain or wherever, and um, and it's social media seems to be driving people more and more mm-hmm. to the same you know few spots. And there are so many spots that are absolutely beautiful that aren't mm-hmm. on the you know sort of the Instagram you know wheel of fortune you circuit. Know? So yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, we could we could totally. Um, have a great experience like you say an immersive experience without having to go to one of the same you know dozen places that everyone likes to go and, yeah uh, so I, apl- I applaud you for that that's awesome
1: yeah and i would even add to that 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 there's more to being in the woods and the mountains than the big view you know the big view in the sunset and maybe that's just kind of my east coast background coming up where you'd hike all day and maybe get a view but but probably not you know Um, and, and there the, the beauty is in, you know, the shape of the leaves and the, the newt on the ground and the, that weird fungus on the tree. And, and so I get a lot more out of those experiences than I do. Like the big open sweeping vistas that look good on Instagram.
0: Um, how long did you take to do
1: the Appalachian trail and and, and what was that like? I did it in four months, right at around four months. So fairly speedy, not. Not record breaking by any means, and, and I didn't start out doing twenty mile days, but um, at the time I I was out there to hike, and and that's what I did, and I didn't really spend a lot of time in town or taking zeros or partying or or, or much of that stuff. I I like being in the woods, and um, yeah, it was a great experience though. I you know I met some people on day one at the bus station in Maine, and, and hiked with them the whole way, so that was nice. Oh, cool. So you went, you actually went uh, southbound. I did. Well, I lived in Georgia at the time, so I liked the idea of walking home. Nice. Was it
0: pretty cool? What month did you start? And I can imagine it might have been a little chilly uh, Chilly at the rollout.
1: I started in July. Um, and so July in Maine is hot and humid and bugs. Um, yeah, but that's when you have to start there because you can't start any earlier because the, the river crossings get too bad, you know, in the northeast with the snowmelt. So, yeah, and then ended in mid-November. And so that's when it really got cold and, and damp was finishing up the trip in the south, in the southern Appalachians. That was the year Hurricane Sandy came through, and so we were in the Smokies and got, you know, I was wearing chacos and a kilt, and one day it was, you know, 65 degrees, and then the next day there was three feet of snow on the ground, so just
0: one question
1: were you wearing that kilt the way you're supposed to be wearing a kilt
0: with nothing underneath it? oh uh, <laughs> uh, uh,
1: yes i was okay, i was wearing right. it with nothing underneath okay. much to the chagrin of my hiking partners i they always made me go last when we were going up the the steep sections <laughs> and did you
0: uh you know do you have chafing issues or anything like that i mean is that you know i don't know that would, would, be, would worry me in that scenario <laughs> yeah if
1: i were if i was still wearing a a kilt i would definitely wear underwear with it because uh, i did have some pretty nasty chafing and, and basically my skin just gave up like it was just like it just got used to it but it was a painful first month <laughs> for no reason you know self-inflicted
2: <laughs>
1: so so andrew most of the people who hike the at go northbound do you know roughly what percentage goes southbound i mean i, th- I think in 2012 when i did it it was it's definitely under 10 percent at least it was at the All time right. maybe even under five percent it's there's a couple of reasons for that people like it seems to be better to start in march um there's also just the tradition of starting at springer springer's kind of a lame finish as compared to katahdin um there's sort of a difference in epicness there and then um you know with springer you can bail out 30 miles in if you want to and a lot of people do you know that's that's well known um and when you start in Maine, you immediately go through the hundred mile wilderness, like on you know starting on day two, and that's very intimidating to people. So southbound tends to attract people who already have their you know their their gear together and maybe are already a little bit more experienced backpackers. But
0: mm-hmm. but I'm sorry, you mentioned you weren't right. This was like your first.
1: Well, I had grown up backpacking. Oh, that's right. You I had, data, yeah. So I, had, that. I had I had never sorry. done. Yeah. I'd never done more than four days out at a time. Yeah. So I'd never done, like, big off-trail trips or anything like that.
0: Wow. <laughs> I, I
2: I think one thing that would be cool about going southbound, though, is that you get to run into all of the people going northbound. You know, like, so many people you would probably run across. Uh, did you get a chance to, like, chat with folks on the way? You know, are you like, hey, how you, how you doing? Where you headed? That kind of thing.
1: Yeah, there's a... Uh... All right. So full disclosure, it's been a long time since I've been connected to to through hiker culture. You know, I don't write for the trek. Um, but at least when I was on the trail and, and in my group, there was this sort of sensation of Sigh. the northbounders kind of had a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. When we bumped into them, they were three fourths of the way through their hike. And so they were always wanting to offer. It's one thing if you say, hey, what's you know what's coming up in a day? What's was a, a challenge but it's another thing if you're just sitting there and and they want to just dump info on you as a way of saying like oh look at what i've already been through you know <laughs> so there's a little bit of that and then also you know your your groups are passing each other and you're sort of you're sort of jockeying for uh space in the shelters and i don't know there there was a weird kind of northy and southy disconnect i think Mm -hmm. two different teams huh yeah Yeah, it has sort of has that sort of has that vibe to it
0: i don't know if you remember i or from the maggie thing i believe it was because she had wrote she wrote a great essay about kind of touching on snobbery but it was about um you know not having hiked a triple crown or whatever and you know like it's as if you know in some ways some people seem to think you're less of a whatever if you you know again it's a great accomplishment but 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 yeah it is kind of a you know, there really isn't any room for snobbery in this stuff, and yet it seems to seems to want, you know, some people seem to want to do it.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, and I, I wrote a piece fairly recently about the idea of hiking or backpacking or any outdoor sport being the entirety of your personality. And I, I see that a lot uh, as a a natural outgrowth of, of social media, Um You know, everyone's pretty aware of, like, the negatives of social media, like the fear of missing out and the, um, you know, the addictive behaviors and stuff. But something I've been thinking a lot about lately is this imposter syndrome, you know, that that if you're following a bunch of hiking influencer accounts and, and brands on Instagram, even if you like hiking, you can end up feeling like, oh, I'm not out there doing this enough you know i should be i should be spending every day out on a day hike i should be planning my triple crown right now because everyone that i'm seeing on a day-to-day basis as i scroll through my phone is out there doing this and i don't i mean surely some of those people that's not the entirety of their personality but on instagram it is right because that it has to be in order for them to to get sponsors or or uh, you know things like that and i just don't think it's healthy i think human beings are made to have a variety of experiences and a variety of hobbies and um hiking and backpacking doesn't you don't know, you don't have to spend every day outside. You can stay inside and work a puzzle and that's okay.
0: Not in LA because the weather's too nice here year round. <laughs> you you do actually have to be outside every day or, or you're or you're just wasting it. No,
1: but, but but you don't it. have to
2: be hiking. You can you can do yeah. road biking. There you go. Or you, or you can do bikepacking. Or you can go
1: paddling. Yeah. You can do your puzzle absolutely. outside in the park. That's fine too. Yeah, you good, know. good good
0: there point. You go. Yeah. 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 <laughs> actually funny enough we get it's the opposite down here because it's like it's 90 degrees outside right now and it's, it's not very yeah. comfortable to be I don't want to be out yeah. Yeah, I'm, yeah I'm quite happy here in the air conditioning talking with you two. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah that's that's a great that's a great thought Andrew about you know it's a, it's a really great observation I, I read that article about you know like backpacking Instagram sucks it is kind of true and I have to say I've kind of you know I I don't I'm not a backpacking only kind of guy. I do probably more hiking than backpacking, and um, uh, I have a, I have a couple of Instagram accounts, kind of for that, that. That was my thought process at the time. So, like my hiking Instagram account kind of focuses on hiking for the mm-hmm. most part, mm-hmm. and then my personal Instagram account. You know, I, I I'm playing pickleball. I'm mm-hmm. you know on a paddleboard. I'm uh, riding a bike. You know, doing other things, and so. I always kind of struggled with a little bit you know like is that doing a disservice to the people who are like following me in in the hiking stuff or you know should i kind of combine them all into one or what i don't know exactly what the right answer is but it's a really interesting conversation and i think that's true is that we do other things besides just backpacking or just hiking and and that's good and healthy and it's worth sharing and you know so that People don't have this expectation that they need to be out there seven days a week on a trail somewhere.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Every time I every time I publish an article somewhere, I get, you know, 10 or 20 new followers on Instagram who are all there for the backpacking stuff. And I like to then spam my account with just like a 99% cat photos <laughs> for like a good solid two weeks of my cat so that so that people you know because and I and I say this this account is is gonna be a lot of cat stuff if you're here for the backpacking you might you might wanna look elsewhere
0: I'm just asked do you have an Airedale terrier I'm looking on your uh, your Instagram here and and I see a painting of what looks like an Airedale terrier
1: oh no that that was probably a uh, a Commission
0: okay yeah yeah
1: yeah actually so pretty early in my painting career someone said hey can you paint my dachshund and i was like okay you know because i needed to pay my insurance that month and and i did and then i i did i spent a lot, i spent a few years doing pet portraits <laughs> <laughs> it's a weird niche but it, you know no that's a cool it, yeah Yeah.
0: it's funny we had one when i was a kid that's why i saw it and it bit mm-hmm. it, it bit everything it ate every like all the furniture in the house yeah. a hole in the wall a large yeah. of carpet and whatever. And it, I mean yeah I think we had it for about a year and a half before we gave it away and you know yeah. the, but it's legend Chris the dog the Airedale's legend yeah. you know lives lives pretty large so I saw it and I had brought up a fun a fun slash you know hard memory of childhood
1: (laughs) oh yeah 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 no you know maggie and i like to think that we're the only two cat people in the outdoor industry Mm -hmm. and we sort of lean into that um i don't dress my cat like maggie does because my cat my cat would (laughs) would murder me in my sleep if i did that but yeah um, heisenberg
0: is a dapper cat we talked about that in maggie's thing and i finally met mm -hmm. heisenberg in in person over the weekend so and yeah in his tuxedo yeah, you know, he's a good looking cat. He, he yeah. is, he's a sharp little fella. I
1: mean, I personally, I think orange cats are better, This, the, but you know, I, it's okay. Everyone's, no one's perfect. So you, you're doing a lot of different things. You're kind of like a Leonardo
2: da Vinci of, you know, the outdoor space. It sounds like <laughs> uh, uh, that's poetry just the and writing and <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot to live up to. I know, but, um, you know, just a lot of different things. So like, how do you manage all of that and is it just sort of like what moves you on a given day? Do you have to slice up your week? Yeah, it's a good there's question. a lot going on. You know, you've got some yeah. beautiful artwork, beautiful photography, the writing that you've done that's you know thought provoking, and you know the websites, the podcast, probably
1: five other things that I'm not even mentioning. So, yeah, I you know I, I do a lot of thinking about this by necessity because I, I spend a lot of time going. Having a lot of fun, you know, working on a photography series and then suddenly feeling guilty that I haven't painted in a while and then having the associated Fear that oh, I haven't painted in a while. Am I losing my edge? You know, am I gonna have to spend some time remembering how to do this? Um, I don't have a good answer or a short answer for how to balance a multifaceted creative life. I, you know, one of the things with Backpacking Light, one of the reasons I love working for Ryan Jordan is because he understands that people are not their jobs and is very supportive of, of me exploring other, other things and giving me the time and the space to do that. You know, my, my, my job with them is not soul-sucking, it's not all-consuming and it's that way on purpose. Um, and this is a very rambling answer to your question, Jeff, um, and I'm sorry about like that. I like it. So I've, tried, I've tried different things. So I've tried saying, okay, morning is writing time, and I'm going to wake up and I'm going to write, and then I'm going to check my email, you know, or morning is painting time. So getting a creative task in early when you have the energy for it, before you get dragged down by the, the administrative stuff is very important, I think. Um, and past that, I just try to to have a balance of all the things that I'm interested in, and I try not to let a week go by without painting and taking pictures and writing, um, because once you get out of the habit, it, it gets harder to jump back in.
0: It's kind of a silly question. Is, is there a favorite of yours though? Is there one that you find yourself doing more than the others? If, if you know, if you're not sort of regulated, you don't have deadlines, or you're not like scheduling yourself.
1: No, no, no. There's not. Um, what? The, the most useful thing about it is is that I like to let my brain solve problems in the background while I'm doing other things. So sometimes that's just like I'm totally blocked and I'm just going to go take a bath or you know have a bike ride or go on a, w- a walk with my wife or something. But sometimes it's as easy as, okay I'm stuck on this essay, I'm going to paint for a while. And And shifting tasks like that is not only satisfying because you're not stressing out about trying to push through Whatever creative block you have, but your brain is solving that problem in the background while you're also being productive and creative, and then you can sort of switch back to it. So I find being multidisciplinary. Um, I don't have a favorite discipline, and I find it very helpful for uh, uh, solving creative problems in individual disciplines.
0: Nice, and uh, and you said you did the Colorado Trail.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, I'm not sure. in not
1: in five days like right. Jeff did.
0: <laughs> yeah. I know exactly how much time it took for. That's still slightly top secret, but not really. Actually, I don't think. But but we're still early on in the process of the movie on his uh, FKT yeah. there. Yeah. Nine days, but that's still pretty pretty darn crazy for uh, you know for that experience. How long did you take, and, and what'd you think of the Colorado
1: Trail? Uh, I did it in 26 days, and um, so was, I think I averaged like 20 mile days. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say that's still still yeah. pretty fast for a trail that long. I loved it. I mean, you know, for all of my talk earlier in this episode about like appreciating the nuances of of trails, the Colorado Trail is like pound for pound a pretty freaking scenic trail. I mean, there's a huge you're above treeline for huge portions of that trail, and yeah. it's wonderful. And there's you know logistics are pretty easy, and there's lots of water, and it's a great trail. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I highly recommend it. Maybe not this year when everyone and their brother is is going to be tackling it you know, after a year of COVID, but give give it a few years and and let people space out a little bit. And then I highly recommend it. I I almost died on that trail though. I got caught in a lightning storm above treeline. Oh geez. Yeah.
0: I had a close call on, on the JMT coming over. Um, we had that coming over. Um, Oh, uh, which pass was it? Shoot a Pincho pass. Mm-hmm. We were like running, <laughs> we're like running over, you know. We're like, oh, right, we better get down because they're lightning everywhere. You know? yeah. yeah,
1: I don't remember where it was. It was it was near one one side or the other of the high point, um, which is maybe close to the the, the western end of the trail. Well, was one of those things that you know, with, on the Colorado Trail, you try to go over the passes in the morning. You don't want because the storms are so predictable, right? They they always come in three or four in the afternoon, and this one was at like nine thirty in the morning. It completely caught me by surprise. Um, there was no trees, and I was the tallest thing in any direction. And suddenly, there was hail and lightning, you know. And I was off on a ridge, like on my foam mat, you know, kneeling with my arms around my legs, like because there's nowhere to run. It was just 30 minutes of just hoping, hoping that I didn't get hit by lightning. Uh, <laughs> Jeez. So I also got giardia on that on that hike. So that was an eventful hike. You know what's funny is is if you remember from mile and a
0: half the Colorado couple we met they had done the that and they also both got giardia on it yeah you know what's funny I had it when I was a little kid Um, I don't know maybe from Yosemite Valley who knows but Mm -hmm. but I did have it when I was real little but I for all the the just lake water and stream water untreated stuff I've drink I've never gotten it in the in the Sierra you know but uh, so maybe I don't know maybe there's something more about up up there. I did see yeah. there, like j- just from you know the footage th- of this movie that 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 may or may not be you know Jeff uh, may or may not be of Jeff's attempt for on the Colorado Trail. Um, that there were, there was quite a bit of like sheep really high up. There were quite oh, a bit. Yeah. There were some cows. Yeah. So yep. I think there's more uh, more livestock up, up high, which might you know not bode well for the water at lower elevations. Yeah. And that might be how I wonder if that's how it's getting in there. You know. Uh, yeah.
1: Have Have you ever had a guest talk? About Giardia on your podcast? No, you're, congratulations, you're the yeah. first. <laughs> I love to t- I love to talk about Giardia. Go for uh, it, go for it. Because I think it's really like fascinating and and um, hard to kill little bug. You know, even sometimes with the water treatments, it it yeah. a, a, a cyst can survive. And so I had gotten it maybe two thirds of the way through the trip and was just starting to show symptoms when I flew home on Spirit Airlines. Uh, so it was an awesome, super comfortable flight where I ended up like in the bathroom, like maybe three fourths of that flight. And, and, and don't then, they charge you
0: $10 every time you use the bathroom? Yeah, it
1: was, yeah, yeah. Let's you know, I'm, I'm sure if they, if they don't, <laughs> yeah. if they didn't, then they do now.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and then I immediately got on another Spirit Airlines flight and went on a vacation with my in-laws while I had, while I had Giardia before I was, was treated, um, and my my father in law was taking us out to eat seafood every night, you know. and Everyone's just eating like crab and shrimp, and I'm like, just just trying not to uh, explode out of every orifice at the same time. It's fun. I I, re- I recommend it.
2: <laughs> now, what's the treatment for it? I I'm I'm, I'm kind of curious because, like, I've thought about I've thought about. Um uh, you know, when you're out in the back country, do you filter, do you not filter, do you treat or not treat? And, you know, a lot of the times I, th- what I've heard is that, well, you know, if you, you're, you're going to be back in civilization in a few days, it's not going to hit you until you get back in which case then you can, you can treat it.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, that's certainly, and certainly that's like the FKT mindset because, you know, you'll be done with your attempt before you get symptoms. But so the symptoms that I experienced were constipation and diarrhea, depending on the day. Um, there's a there's a less well known symptom that's like g- general malaise and and depression. And I suffer from depression anyway, so it was like double trouble. And then it just total exhaustion. I fell asleep standing up in the shower one day. And um, these really sulfuric burps that oh, just the burps. like you can you can just feel them like just destroying your esophageal lining as they come up and then they burst forth into the air and people can smell them like farts from like across the room it's it's insane so uh, th- this is a long way of saying the people who say i'm not going to worry about it have almost never had giardia
0: <laughs> i'm fortunate enough that i was so young, that i was young enough that I'd, i don't i remember the burps a bit but it went mm-hmm. undiagnosed for quite a while because I don't mm-hmm. think it was as known of a thing, you right. know, in the in the 70s, you know, or early 80s. Yeah, I, I would have been 70s. I, I'm pretty yeah. sure when I had it. And I think Flagyl is usually what they give you. It's like, right? Did you do you remember what they gave you?
1: Yes, yeah, a super strong, you know, one yeah. of those super strong antibiotics that destroys every yeah. every good, you know, bacteria you have in your intestines, and yeah. you can't even use mouthwash with it because alcohol like reacts so negatively with it. And I'll never forget the pharmacist looking at me and saying, is that going to be a problem for you? (laughs) Like, like he could diagnose my latent alcoholism, like, just by looking at me. I don't know. It was very strange. (laughs) Okay. So avoid Giardia is the bottom line. (laughs) I'm sort of an evangelist for not, not, um, no matter what your water looks like, you never know who has stuck their, Poop-stained fingers in it. Ten seconds before you walk by.
2: Mm, okay.
1: You're right, I, but I do think it does also somewhat depend on
0: where you are. Like I, like in the Sierra, I always sort of look at. Well, if I'm at a lower elevation in the Sierra, I, in the Sierra, I am definitely, you know, mm-hmm. filtering it. But when you're up high and you and you can kind of see like the the snow on the side of the mountain melt, melting melting directly into the stream coming right down. Generally, that's one of the situations in which I'll drink. Or if I know there's no livestock and no mules or no trails like above me, I generally feel safe. But disclaimer: you should you, you should probably filter. And now that I have the little bee free, which is just so much easier and faster. Oh yeah, that's it. It makes it. Yeah. Uh, Jeff actually turned me onto that. Um, yeah. It's uh, it makes it much faster and easier of a process. Yeah. The old ones back in the day took like forever. Like uh, that-
1: the the pump ceramic MSR filters. Oh yeah,
0: yeah I had the old MSR. Yeah, cranking for like an hour to get like half a half an L
1: gene. <laughs> I'm willing to admit that my trauma of of you know dissolving the the window the rubber gaskets off the side of the airplane window that I was on uh, <laughs> is is. Uh, Informing my extra caution in this matter. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, I want to
0: take it back just a little bit to something you kind of mentioned at the end of one of our, what we were talking about a little while ago about like just how much more crowded it's going to be this year. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if you think this is kind of a fad and like a reaction to the pandemic that now everyone's a camper and a backpacker and a hiker. Mm. Do you think, how much of it do you think is going to be retained? Do you think this is going to be a permanent thing or do you think like, 5 years from now no one, you know, it's going to be kind of back to where it was or close to where it was like pre-pandemic.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. If you'd asked me 2 weeks ago, I would have said this is probably going, you know, people people are probably going to be into this. But then I read an article about all the dogs that people are returning to shelters from yeah, from from pandemic puppy buying and that made me think if <laughs> If people can get over a dog, you know, like a dog, then maybe they're going to get over, you know, the suffering that comes with the, the, that they weren't expecting, you know, from being out in the woods. And you're a cat person. So, I mean, and I'm a cat person. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, no, I think some people will stick with it, obviously. And, you know, in a perfect, beautiful world, what would happen is, is all these people who experience the outdoors for the first time this year are also getting super into conservation and and leave no trace and calling their representatives and asking for national monuments to be expanded and increasing the budget for national parks. But I don't, I don't know how much surface level experience in the last year translates into that level of commitment. Mm -hmm. Do
2: you have any ideas on how to get people from point a to point b how do you get them mm. from like hey this national park is pretty beautiful i like it here i'm going to get into camping and maybe leave even try backpacking how do you get them from that point to the point where they're like oh yeah this leave no trace thing is pretty pretty smart i think i'll start doing that you know and 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 maybe i will write my uh, congressman to support yeah. you know, conserving this this land and
1: i have i have higher level Ideas like I'm, I'm a. My wife's a teacher, my dad's an educator. I have, a, a. An optimist's, belief in the power of education. And, so I would certainly like to see, more, um, brands, and outlets using their voice to talk less about gear. And more about the philosophical aspects of traveling in the backcountry and what it means to you know to be hurtling on this rock through space together and um, so that's what I try to do in my own writing is, is do things like that and that's what I try to encourage my, the writers who work for me to do and that's where the direction we're trying to take Backpacking Roots um, is just to be aware that that we're reaching people a lot of whom are beginners and then it's about more than just your base weight and your gear layouts. And, you know, if if you've got a 950 fill power down quilt or an 800.
0: I can cut this question if you
1: don't want to talk about it. Uh,
0: but, uh, you know, you mentioned that, that, you know, you struggle with depression. And obviously a lot of people in the outdoor community, um, you know, do struggle with that. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Right? I mean, what do you... Yeah. You know, it's fortunately something I haven't really struggled with in my life. But what do you think it is about the outdoors and all that, that that appeals and hopefully, you know, is helpful
1: to. to, to yeah, it's a good. Yeah. That. I don't. Well, first of all, I don't mind talking about it at all. Good, uh, yeah. I like talking about it because it helps people realize that they're not alone. Yeah. Um, And yeah, I started realizing how how much people in the outdoors struggle with it. When I started talking to like um, Ryan Jordan at Backpacking Light, struggles with it. I know, you know, Jeff, I'm not surprising anybody. He's been, he's been open about it. Um, I don't, I, it's a chicken and an egg type situation. I don't know if people with depression gravitate to the outdoors because there's some, you know, there's a lot of studies that outdoors can help alleviate some symptoms. It's, it's not a fix, you know, but it's an alleviation. It's a relaxation of the symptoms. Um, so I guess it's not a chicken and egg type situation. I, th- I, I, think, I think people with depression and anxiety gravitate towards the outdoors uh, instinctively because you can get out there and you can almost immediately feel uh, a benefit if you're not also putting other stimulus into your system. So if, if you're not out there on a through hike and checking your Instagram at the top of every ridge when you get service, or if you're spending all day with earbuds in your in your ears. none of those things are bad intrinsically, but they are they are bringing part of what is n- a negative input uh, into a place with neutral or positive inputs. And I, I think that's worth thinking about.
0: Do you have any thoughts on like what I mean, you know the social media thing and the social media issue like do you, do you think it's like sort of, say Instagram's place? You know, to to do something about it, you know, similar to like say all of the political misinformation and whatnot that spread across those platforms and everything. Do you think they're sort of uh, mm. they hold they bear some responsibility, or they should be doing something about sort of the issues? You know, the massive, like you said, the FOMO sort of element, or the you know the the you know the selfish, the wrong, just the wrong and fake sort of you know you know exist yeah, you yeah, know yeah. thing that's forced upon people like this ridiculous unattainable. You know, yeah,
1: thing. isn't there some some movement to like make Instagram do something? I don't. Know. Is that what you're talking about? There's, yeah, there's, I'm, I'm just saw curious. The other day. Yeah. yeah. I I I don't know. Instagram's not. I mean, if they do anything, it will be window dressing. It will be the the minimum thing they can do to make it seem like they have done something because they don't care. They're trying to make money. They've created a, a software that's a dopamine delivery system. So that they can sell your inf- information to advertisers. I mean, I'm I'm a heavy user of Instagram, so yes I, am I, I, I say this. I say that <laughs> yeah. you know, I say no, you I know. know, I say this with a requisite hypocritical uh, angle on this. But no, I think it's up to us individually to to responsibly use these things that are powerful tools. Um, but but you know, tools can be used negatively. Yeah. Especially I'm, if they're designed to be
0: yeah and I'm with you on that it's like the whole you know I obviously I use it quite a bit as well I think any and you almost unfortunately, like you said if you are and want to work in this and in or any industry right. honestly yeah you almost kind of have to you know what I mean yeah. you know to have a following to have your work out there and to be present on it. But uh, yeah, I, again, I don't think they would be good at it. Clearly they're not good, you know, whatever, or at least Facebook, their parent company hasn't been good at the political aspects of it. Mm-hmm. I just, it seemed like something you thought about. Yeah, Jeff.
2: Yeah. I think that's one of the wonderful things about like uh, backpacking light. You know, you have a community that's in a,
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, you're not distracted by the noise like I'm thinking of Facebook in particular because there's a lot of mm-hmm. people who have like groups on Facebook that, you mm-hmm. know, to try, try to collaborate about ultralight backpacking or to right. camping or doing a particular trail. And those are those can be very useful.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: They serve a great function, but there's so much noise on those social networks. And and that's what I love about some of the communities that are outside of the normal You know big social media networks is that um you know you can eliminate some of that noise and and i think that's a positive
1: yeah the the struggle then becomes how do you make memberships include uh uh, communities inclusive because as soon as you start forming a community with a shared interest it immediately because of the nature of how we work becomes somewhat exclusive so just concentrating on finding the balance between um having a community that's useful and informative and where you can trust what people are saying but that's also open and welcoming to beginners is is important um i think also like one of the things
0: it was years ago it was a frontline thing on the decline of the american media and this was like 15 years ago god it's gotten even worse but they did like a three-part series on it and they talk about how once the internet hit all of the newspapers everything put up all of their journalism and everything up on the web basically for free. You know? Oh yeah. And and again, like you said, what you know, now what that's somewhat created is is really like an uncomfortable sort of and it's not even like you can't really blame writers. It's like writers need to make a living. And right. if the way for them to make a living is to get someone to read their story and click through and buy the water bottle or the you know, right. or the buff or the Whatever or the sleeping bag that they're talking about—that's how they make money and they make their mm-hmm. living. You can't fault them for that, but that's yeah. kind of what it's come from. And you, you almost need something like a, a paywall or or who knows or something or some other way of generating media. Or that's there's no way that's ever going to change.
1: Yeah, and as frustrating as I find paywalls as a consumer, when I when I'm trying to you know read a newspaper article or something, I totally get it as a writer. Yeah, um, because I love being able to write things that i think are important without having to chock full of, of keywords you know or mess with my writing to make it fit under you know 800 words because that's what the search engine optimization of the day is saying people don't realize how much of that stuff goes into everything you read on the internet i didn't even realize it as a writer until i took a side gig working for a, a, a large evil multinational Uh, entertainment conglomerate (laughs) that I won't name but but you know my job was to write about products on Amazon that I'd never used and write about it in such a way that I never said that I used them but that I implied that I had used them and these were reviews and um, yeah people (laughs) don't realize that if anytime you read something like that on the internet it's some guy at a desk like me who's never used the product and who's treading a very fine moral line and feeling bad about it at the end of the day <laughs> Yeah, not feeling great about it <laughs> you,
2: and you gotta you gotta unplug at the end of the day and take a hike just to kind of cleanse your soul <laughs> exactly exactly yeah. happily no
1: longer working for them yeah. nice how's your summer looking shaping up do you got any uh ag- adventures planned for the next few months i i do i would i i'm gonna try to get a walk-up permit for the high sierra route um, and try to knock that out in late August or mid August somewhere. It's been super dry year here in the Sierra, so I could probably do it now if I wanted to. that is as crazy as that sounds, but um, yeah, uh, yeah. So that's the plan, and then I'm gonna do some some trips in Rocky Mountain National Park in the late September, and then um, I'm gonna do the College at Loops with a friend somewhere at the end of the summer as well.
0: Great! Oh, nice. That's exciting, and we'll be able to see these on backpacking routes. I'm assuming, correct?
1: Yeah, College at Loops is already up there. Okay, Uh, we just published that one, and um, High Sierra Roots is up there as well. Yeah. So, So, speaking of that, why don't you tell everyone where they how they
0: can find and sign up for, and you know, or even submit to backpacking routes. And you know, Instagram, can, you know, backpacking. Land, you, you have so many different like, places yeah. you live, but why, why don't you run down them all and let everyone know? All right, how I'll, I'll right. I'll run down we're, we're going to have a long list. It's going to be a long one.
1: <laughs> okay, yeah. So, backpackingroutes.com. Um, if you want to find a searchable database of trails from all over the country, mostly in the 50 mile to 500 mile range, um, you can submit to us. We have a, a pretty low budget, but we do pay all our riders. Um, and we also publish blogs and stuff too, which we which we pay writers for. Uh, backpackinglight.com um, is a great resource for, especially the forums. If you want to comb through our forums, we have very active membership. Uh, we have articles, we have podcasts, we have video uh, masterclasses that we do on things like uh, the Garmin InReach Mini or um, master level trip planning and you know cross country things like that. So you can check that out. And then just personally, you can find me on Instagram at Andrew Marshall Images. Full disclosure, it's a lot of cat content, as I said. Um, you can find me on Facebook at the same place. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Pawn underscore Andrew, where I mostly just vent my rage into the universe. I, I've got like eight followers. So, uh, <laughs> you know, that's – I just, you know, find articles and go, can you believe this? And then that's my Twitter account. So that's that's where you can find me. Great. Well, man, thank you so
0: much uh, for coming on, Andrew. It's been awesome to talk to you. It's it's uh, it's been a lot of fun, and, and I, I really like you know how thoughtful and, and whatever you are about a lot of these issues, you know, confronting the uh, outdoor industry, and in our little world. So thanks, yeah. thanks for coming
1: on. No, thanks so much. I had a blast. We're super appreciate it.
0: Well, that's going to do it for us. I forgot to mention at the top, Severia is somewhere on the road between LA and Colorado, so wasn't able to be with us today, but she'll be back soon. Please make sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on social media, on Instagram at almostthere underscore AP or the Almost There Adventure Podcast on Facebook. You can find Severia at Adventure Us Women, that's Adventure US Women, Jeff at The SoCal Hiker, or me at The Muir Project. Our title track, Almost There, is performed by Opus Orange and is provided courtesy of Emoto. For more about this episode and all of our others, make sure to check out the show notes at our website, almostthereadventurepodcast.com. On our next episode, we'll have hiker and photographer, Luke Pearsall. As always, thanks for listening.